it, I think people are like, in some weird way, mourning, right? The drop of Sequoia, because it feels like it's splitting up. So I think there's a little bit of like grief in that short term. But I think it could be a good thing, honestly, in the medium to long term for like, I mean, obviously for Hongshan, they get to do what they want to do, right? Invest what they want to do. And I think it'd be a good thing for Peak, right? Everybody recognizes that Southeast Asia and India are different markets, right? From America, Europe, and it's a very different market from China. So I think you might actually let them build a focused approach, right? Welcome to Brave. Learn from Southeast Asia's best tech leaders. Build the future, learn from our past, and stay human in between. No BS on success. I'm Jeremy Au, venture capitalist, serial founder, Harvard MBA, science fiction nerd, and dad of two daughters. Every week, we debate startup news, interview changemakers, answer listener questions, and share personal insights. Join our movement of over 20,000 members and get transcripts, resources, and community at www.bravesea.com. Nodeflare is a trusted recruiting partner for startups looking to scale their technology teams. They have a curated pipeline of talent from data scientists to full-stack engineers. Learn about the latest salary trends and benchmark compensation across the region. Nodeflare offers more than 10,000 verified salary data points completely free to employers. Check out www.nodeflare.com today. Morning, Shuyen. Good morning, Jeremy. How's it going? Everyone's happy. We started out this morning with the morning sigh. We got our coffee and caffeine, so ready to go. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. It's a busy week on the news side. Well, before we start, we've got to do three quick shout outs, it sounds like. First of all is shout out to Kayla at Endeavor for helping organizing that great event with Manny Ayala as well. She had a previous interview on Brave Podcast, so you can check out that episode. Andre Lim at Toot says that he learns a lot from episodes and he liked our kind of like mastering fundraising approach. He liked the VCA market outlook. So shout out to Andre Lim at Toot. Thanks for the shout out. And uh, Shiyan, you had someone you wanted to say hi to? Oh, the Prefer guys. Met them today. They're making beanless coffee. You can find out more about that. Uh, We haven't tried it yet. They said they appreciated the podcast and had been learning by listening along. Yeah, Jake and Tingjie. So the, yeah, the... Jake was like, "Don't lie." I was like, "Yep, that's a pretty good takeaway. Don't yeah, lie." Yeah, 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 yeah. The Prince of Fermentation. There you go. I think I, I always love that catchy name. And he's been coming on some of the founder hikes that the Brave community organizes as well. On that note, I think it sounds like we've got two big things to discuss. I think the first, of course, is about the Sequoia splitting into three separate entities: into Sequoia America into Hongshan, which is Redwood in Chinese for the China arm, and as well as Peak XV, which is Peak 15. I think it's 15. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, so you spell it out, it's XV, right? So Roman numerals, there we go. Yeah, yeah. And also I think I would say the Sequoia is retaining Europe as well. So it's US and Europe. Yeah. So I thought it was interesting. So we're going to go and dive into that. And if you have time, we're going to try to talk about Apple Vision Pro, which is AR and VR. So actually, there's actually two very meaty conversations we can use the whole time. But so let's see where we get to. Let's talk about some of the facts, I think, about Sequoia. So big news, it was announced on the various magazines, came out of press. Obviously, it's a big surprise because Sequoia obviously has been a very well-respected, large thesis. And I think many people even did analysis of Sequoia about their approach, right? Which is, I think, a couple of major features they had was that, first of all, they're going for global 
tools that they delegated or localized their investment decision-making in local partnerships to give them high velocity of decision-making as much as they can. Three, LPs invested globally into the fund, right? When you invested into the US fund, you had to invest into multiple funds in the whole mandate. As of some time ago, that's changed more recently. And then lastly, of course, was that they chose to centralize some functions together, right? On a global basis. So kind of like a little bit of an MNC approach, global partnership. And I think many of them look at them and respected them for their multi-stage program, their innovation. They came out Sequoia Scouts, Sequoia Surge, all these good programs to let them play in, like you said, US, Europe, India, Southeast Asia, China. It's hard to think of any other VC funds that have tried to do it, right? And and now it looks like they are splitting up. So Shien, what, what do you think or any other things you want to add to what you observe from the news? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's just the reality of organizations getting bigger, right? And starting to run into each other. And so I think, I think historically when people first started investing in China, they were very sort of China-focused types of deals. But now increasingly, you've seen Chinese companies going overseas, be it ByteDance, Temu, all of these other products that might have originated in China, but actually have global ambitions, and then start to run into each other, right? And we see Southeast Asian companies going overseas, right? And so you can think of it as globalization 2.0, right? If globalization 1.0 was like developed companies coming into emerging markets, 2.0 is everybody going everywhere, everything, everywhere, all at once. And so I think you could see conflicts emerging if different partnerships, different parts of the partnership backed different companies who then ran into each other in a market. Then you say, okay, well, who are we going to support in this market, right? Who do we make the introductions to? Who do we send the new hires to, right? Like, I think there's sort of very practical aspects of funds and teams growing bigger. I think the geopolitical stuff is also present. They didn't talk about it that much in the press release. I think there is a chorus of people in the U.S. who are like, why is a U.S. fund investing in Chinese open AI competitors? And I think as the rhetoric builds up on both sides of the Pacific, I think questions like that will become harder. And I think LPs will also evaluate their exposure and have to make decisions about where they want to be invested and whether there is a liability to them later on because governments feel like they were kind of running afoul of some sorts of national interests. Uh, so I think there's definitely that as well. And I mean, I would suspect, you know, at the heart of it, there's always an economic argument, right? I think it becomes really hard when you're like sharing economics across a larger and larger group of people to attribute returns or feel like things are being allocated. And it's always these, you know, I think there's like a rule about like compensation structure, which is you could use compensation as motivation insofar as people feel like they can control how those things go. And I think as companies get larger and more diffuse, I think it becomes much harder to feel that you have control. And then that makes people feel perhaps less, yeah, less willing to, to all kind of be in the same boat. Yeah. Pure speculation. No, I mean, I... no inside information. Uh, same as here. But it's a common phenomenon, right? That I think a lot of partners leave, right? For example, individually to set up their own partnerships, right? I think there's a common mental mentality. I think it's a common, you can say, batner, right? There's a common fallback where if the partnership doesn't work out, I think people can set up their own separate, right? And then I think there was actually a very interesting analysis that was on a paper. And I think basically what it did was it tried to look at partners who join other VC funds or set up their own funds. And they wanted to deal 
see what the difference of the performance was. In other words, is performance at a fund level or is that the per performance follow the individual partners there? And I thought it was a very interesting paper, which we'll link to in the show notes. But that analysis showed that actually part performance was highly dependent on the individual partner, right? Which was because of their stock picking, but also their sourcing and decision-making and support. So it was very interesting where it was basically saying like, it basically implied that at a fund level, performance is more, it's about who is in your partnership yep. rather than what accretes um, to the fund itself and the firm. And that's almost a bit contrarian to some extent because I think a lot of funds obviously are moving towards like trying to build up the brand, right, of the fund, right? So obviously everybody knew about Sequoia because Sequoia America is famous, is always in the press, they have great investments. They're an OG. Yeah, they're OG. One of the first gen, right? And so, yeah, it's, I think there's, I think there's actually an interesting natural experiment now where we're going to see from the outside and not from the LP perspective, but now we're going to see Sequoia China and Neil Shen, how they're going to perform moving forward without the Sequoia name, right? And, well, and... They're, they made a crack in that article, right? Yeah. Which is, they said, we are already known by Hongshan, and I don't know how many Chinese entrepreneurs can even spell Sequoia, which I thought was like a bit of a ridiculous comment, but <laughs> it's hilarious nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. And Hongshan is a redwood, so it's a different type of tree, I guess. So nice way to recognize the bit of the cousinness. No, no, a Sequoia yeah. is a redwood. Yeah. Well, okay. Get it right, Jeremy. Okay, I got it right. I got it right. <laughs> I feel like there are other redwoods other than sequoia trees. That's what I'm saying. But anyway, we, we got to go. Th we're not biologists, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna Google and search this later. But yeah, I think the key thing here is that, like you said, is I think it's gonna be, I think, interesting to see what the performance is from the outside in because I think within the partnership is quite clear, partner by partner, the individual performance, right? <laughs> And so I think we're going to see also peak 15 go on and make their investment decisions. And that's going to be uh, interesting because at the end of the day, LPs will now make a decision, not the Sequoia, the mothership, but in individual funds, right? And I think also it kind of goes back to what you said about the fragmentation, right? Or splintering is that now there's Indian LP capital, there's Southeast Asian LP capital, now there's Chinese LP capital. So it's not just American and European LP capital, right? And so it's interesting to see how that was sought out over time. And so what do you think the impact in Southeast Asia will be, Jeremy, if any? Ooh. I think, frankly, Sequoia has had a good brand name in Southeast Asia because Sequoia is always in the news, is always in the press, is mentioned, and obviously has a long legacy, right? And so I think from a first-time or second-time founder's perspective, I think the founder community has always respected the Sequoia brand as a whole. And then they meet the various partners and associates and... Uh, on a parallel note, I think a lot of folks who I know who wanted to join the fund as a VC, as an associate or as a principal, joined it because they felt like they wanted to be part of that Sequoia brand, similar to how you want to join Bain or BCG or McKinsey, which are all partnerships, right? Global partnerships. I think law firms as well, they're global partnerships. So I think there was that feeling that you joined this global team, right? And obviously everybody knew the trade-offs as a result, right? That you're going to be, there may be more like, what's the word? But cross-border was the word like debates about stuff, right? Because you're you're MNC, so people kind of expected to move slow, and people obviously knew that you had to work US hours to do calls and stuff like that. It was part of the known thing, right? And I think it'll be interesting because the truth is, peak fifteen, nobody has heard of that name before, right? Today's the first day. It's from Mount Everest, right? That's the illusion. Yeah, and it's the first time, so it's, we're seeing a new brand come to existence, right? And so I think. The market has relearned pick 15 and to some extent, I think it's more clearly, I think you, you might let them 
be more nimble, right? Be faster, right? Be more proactive, get less vetoes effectively, implicit or explicit. So I think you could build a pretty strong focus fund over the medium term, right? But in the short term, I think he has to kind of like continue improving their brand, right? Yeah. Cool. How about you? What do you think, Shane? Yeah, I mean, they have a fresh fund. They got a ton of money to deploy. They're known entities in the ecosystem. And so I think in the short term, probably shouldn't be any impact. And then it will be interesting, I think, like you said, to see how they evolve the brand. More mountain references. I don't know. Mount. But yeah, it'll be interesting to kind of just see how they take it. Like I, I think the surge program, I think, has been hugely popular in region. Yeah. And so whether they kind of maintain that strategy or not, but it seems like in the short term, I, I don't foresee a, a ton of changes. Mm. Yeah, I think maybe down the road would be interesting. Can you imagine them competing with each other? Like you talk about, because they, they'll make bets, right? In certain categories, right? And maybe SaaS, for example, would be all three of them would do some level of B2B SaaS, right? And they could all compete with each other one day, right? So I think it'll be interesting to see. I think there'll be press articles down the road about cousins, you know, competing each other, right? It's like romance of the three kingdoms a little bit, right? Like one partnership became three, right? It's like every every hawker center feud ever in Singapore. <laughs> it's like, it's, You're not the real Taihua Mipa. <laughs> we were all the original Rocher Road being cut stall. Yeah. Then I was like, your stall is like the original being Rocher. And then the original, original Rocher being cut stall, right? And then they, they always like locate next to each other so that... They, and it's funny. You I, get I've never go- understood that. Why do they do that? It's like, I mean, uh, you should spread out. But yeah, it's like, all the all the battles, all the intrigue is always in like who is the real Bachami. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's fun. Then you people is in the press. People choose, you know, go visit both and make a decision which one to prefer. Yeah, it's so it's like, taste. is it a real is it a real feud or is it just a marketing gimmick? Yeah, you'll see. <laughs> I think what would be the thing are the lessons you think for future VC funds? Because I think we see actually quite a few folks who are slowly kind of like building out that region by region launch, right? And trying to be global. Shane, you had Hustle Fund as well. You also have a kind of a global mandate, right? So we you two we are three partners also. I mean it's not it's not on that scale, right? I mean I think yeah. hey, if you get to that scale, it's a good problem to have, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that, yeah. Like, I mean, sure, if I were managing $20 billion and I needed to split away, sorry, Eric and Elizabeth, I'm out. <laughs> I think we, I think everyone would be fine. But I mean, it's not even, it's not just them, right? Like there was this big fight at EY, right? Recently. Yeah, where, between the arms of business, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think this is just like, a, it's a pretty normal thing that happens when organizations get bigger, right? Which is always like, when do the benefits of centralization yeah. um, outweigh or the benefits of decentralization outweigh the benefits of centralization? So yeah. I, I think that's good, right? And, and I think in some sense, change is good in that it can reinvigorate, make things more dynamic. Yeah, you know, it reminds me a little bit of like, it reminds me a little bit about the BCG and Bain and McKinsey, right? Bill Bain, the founder of Bain, used to be actually at BCG, right? So BCG had actually divided their team into two, two teams, because they felt like competition is good. So internal competition is good to keep everybody sharp. And then Bill Bain was crushing it as one of the team, one side of the team. 
and then at some point was like, hey, I want more economics. And then BCG wouldn't give it to him. And he was like, hey, yeah, what are you going to do? You're going to set up your own company? And then Bill Bain was like, yep. And then he set up his own company called Bain & Company, which came out of BCG, right? And he pulled a ton of people, including Mitt Romney, out of BCG into Bain Capital. And Bain Capital was highly focused, more customer-oriented. Obviously, BCG continues to be a super strong player, but they have a different kind of pedagogy and approach from how Bill Bain wanted to take it. And then, yeah, Bain became the largest in many ways, uh, especially in private equities and transactions. Small focus, right, in that sense. So I think you fast forward today, you're like, yeah, there's McKinsey, there's BCG, there's Bain. And they kind of like, two of them used to be like the same partnership. Yeah. So my old fund, IVP, yeah. Yeah. actually split into three funds. Right. And so the old IVP, if you think about the IVP that was founded in 1978, it was an early stage fund, but then over time it grew right. and it became sort of multi-stage, it added healthcare, like it became a lot of things. And then... It split into Redpoint, which is the early stage, the IVP today, which retained the name, but is a late stage growth fund, and Versant, which is a healthcare fund. Yeah. So I think this is like very common. It's, it's not as, I think it, it's news because it's Sequoia, right? But right. I think the, the sort of underlying forces at play are, are relatively universal. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, I think people are like, in some weird way, mourning, right? The drop of Sequoia, because it feels like it's splitting up. So I think there's a little bit of like, grief in that in that short term but i think it could be a good thing honestly in the medium to long term for like i mean obviously for hongshan they get to do what they want to do right invest what they want to do and then it'd be a good thing for peak right maybe i think everybody recognizes that southeast asia and india are different markets right from america europe and it's a very different market from china so i think you might actually let them build a focused approach right yeah i mean tailored for ecosystem and so i think i don't know I think there's a little unnecessary like backbiting in the short term. I think rumble, rumble, rumble. But then you're like, yeah, I think in the medium term, I think at the end of the day, like I said, it's down to individual partner performance, right? And you understand the market and can you be responsive? And I think the team's super hungry, right? Yeah. 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 It will be interesting to see how everything pans out. Yeah. But I think a uh, super solid team and all the best. And on that note, now we're moving towards... <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> It was like this. It's like Jeremy just awkwardly sails the pivot <laughs> ship, right? It was just like, okay, okay, okay. Talking about <laughs> talking about looking at the future, we also saw the future. Sorry, I just hate myself so much for that. Anyway, okay, we promised to kind of look at this number two thing, right? Which is talking about Apple Vision Pro and talking about augmented reality and virtual reality, and we've kind of like both nerding out a little bit, and so we wanted to chat about it. Shea, what are your thoughts? I mean, what's your personal experience with VR and AR so far? I mean, I have an Oculus headset, right? Yeah. I bought it for research purposes. Um, <laughs> Air quotes for those who are listening audio only. Yeah. <laughs> and I played some, I played a lot of games, but I guess I think it's not really in my flow. Right. Right. Like I have to consciously charge it, bring it out, do something with it. And I think in the pandemic, it was fun to like play Beat Saber and draw 3D images with my kids, but it's still kind of like a very solitary experience. And in terms of like my day-to-day, -day, it's not really clear that it does anything so much better that I really want it. And it's pretty uncomfortable. It's hard to wear it over glasses. And so the thing is sort of like, you're like, oh, it's kind of like a curiosity, right? But 
definitely, you know, I mean, Apple is Apple. So you, when you watch that video, you're like, oh, that's hot. Like, I want that. But then trying to think about like, and I think a demo would be interesting to go try it is like, is it really lightweight enough to wear? Right. Is it, will you be actually able to like create like a much better work environment than I have right now? Here I have my two monitor set up. I'm pretty comfortable. Is it going to be a better experience? I mean, the one for sure that I thought would be better is the airplane example where <laughs> you're sitting in economy and you could just block out the entire world and create a much better experience for yourself. I'm like hundred percent there for that. That is definitely a clear use case. Yeah. I mean, I think, the challenge with it is like, it's not clear to me what it does better, like so much better that I'm going to use it in my workflow. I think the airplane use case is probably yeah. the one that was most compelling where you're like, oh, I'm trapped in this tiny seat, but I can just block out everything around me and still have this amazing experience. Yeah. I'm into that. Um, I'm probably a little bit more skeptical about the productivity use case in that our pretty good setup right now. I've got two monitors here. Pretty Woo, comfortable. Old like, person. <laughs> yeah, but, but I mean. Do everything in AR. There we go. Do your PowerPoint. Sorry. Well, Sorry. I think it's interesting though, right? But but the yeah. capabilities, right? The idea that like there's no controller, right? Yeah. You sure. can scroll with hand gestures and you're not typing. You're actually speaking something into existence. Like if it really works that well, sure, that would be awesome. I've already switched a lot of my workflows to audio. So yeah. I do send people recordings rather than type because it can be mm, faster on the go. Mm, so yeah. I could actually see myself using that if it works well, right? Right. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious about that, right? Yeah. The, the sort of productivity use case. But I think the other thing like that's a little bit creepy, they showed that one where it's like, hey, because it's on your face, they basically take an image of your face and then they like use your eye movements to make it look like you're animated. Yeah, like right. that, Jeremy. Yeah. Like, it's a little bit creepy. Like I would rather sort of have a crappier picture of you than talk to a facsimile of you that just had moving eyes. Like it's, yeah. I, I don't know about that. And maybe, maybe there's an add on later, right? Where it's like, <laughs> there's an external camera that just shows my real face, but with my goggles on or something. And they totally could have done that. They made, they made a design decision. They, they for sure, did it and then they were like no we'll keep it normal right they want to make it seamless as much as possible yeah yeah but it's yeah. like i don't know it's all this sort of like uncanny valley problems and so oh, yeah. i think that's a little bit creepy yeah and and maybe actually you shouldn't try to make the whole thing video right maybe it is fine it's okay that we have some calls that is mi are mixed right like yeah, someone's yeah. audio only some people have video on they don't whatever it is but that seems like <laughs> super odd to me and then it's, it's not that I'm ugly with my video. It's just that I prefer my Memoji version. Yeah, it's of weird, right? It's weird. Yeah. And and then I think I think the last part is like, does it make us more like pod people? Right? Is it even more Ready Player One? Yay, pod people! Yay, pod people! <laughs> no, but just like like I think people need to interact in the real world, and so right. I think to the extent that it helps you when you are working remotely or makes you more productive, right. all that sort of stuff, that's great. But I had hoped it would be more like glasses and yeah. I have this problem when I see people at conferences and I can't remember their name, but yeah. I remember like weird details about them. So then yeah. I'm like frantically Googling like product manager, Microsoft, <laughs> Yale, and trying to like back yeah, yeah, into yeah, their yeah, name yeah, 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 yeah. so that when I see them, I'm like, hey, John, what's up? 
but it would be yeah. great if it had like a little camera and it did facial recognition. It's like, John, you met him two years ago at this other thing. Da 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 da. This is what happens, right? It's like Silicon Valley nerd problem. And it's why like Google Glass was like, you know, I so know. popular. But most people don't have that problem. Most people remember the names of the people they meet, Cheyenne, because they don't meet so many people. Most people don't read like so many people all Yeah, exactly. Time. Yeah, exactly. It's a very specific use case. Most know, people don't know exactly. I know. Yeah, yeah. I know. It's really, but it's really It's terrible. a wish list. It, it, I, I, think it, I think it's a true business use case. I, I, and, I, and okay, I, I'll share my point of view. I think... For myself, I've had every generation of Oculus. Oculus Go, Nerd. Oculus Quest 1, Quest 2. Yes! Flying that freak black high. And I remember the first time I got it, <laughs> I was in Boston. And I put it on and I was trying out the different apps because I'm a nerd, right? And, and try it out. And I realized at some point that I actually was most gravitating to was like effectively the Google Maps app. And I was like walking around Singapore. And I, at some point I realized I was homesick. And so I was oh, like, Oh, that's so cute. And then and I came out and my friend who was a VR person was like, Oh, what did you do? I did this. And I, I, I just gravitated that because nobody knew. Right. And she was like, Oh, you were traveling. You're, you're being a tourist. And I was like, Oh, you're right. Like I was, I traveled to like Petra, Jordan. I, I climbed Mount Everest. Have you, so done, the Matter, have you done the Matterport scans? Uh, that, of course, nowadays is so common these days now, No, right? no, but is, it's uh... even better with the VR. Oh, okay. I haven't done it with the VR. Yeah, yeah. I only they've done, done it like the... submarines. They've yeah, done yeah. like, there's one that's really cool that's like a fire, like a burnt yeah. out, like right. when you like, you can walk into like a yeah. crazy thing. Right. So I think there's like a ton of like educational stuff that's going to be really cool that people can yeah. do, right? Yeah. And I think this is the interesting part is that I had all these cool experiences and I was definitely the weirdo in my man cave. Just like <laughs> giggling to myself while I play like tabletop Dungeons and Dragons. And I shared that in a previous episode where I talked about my experience. But at some point, I thought that it felt like 20, 30 minutes to me playing this campaign with a bunch of like a European person, a Chinese person, and an American person with his dogs in the background. And then I realized at some point I was like, oh, wait, it was like four hours effectively. <laughs> and then I missed my dinner with my kids. And I was like, oh my God, I, think, I know it's terrible, <laughs> really pot people. And then I was just like, and I, I was like, oh my gosh, it just flew by. It's so fun. And I just couldn't share the experience with anybody. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's the thing. How do you do it with other people? So and that's what Apple, I think, worked really, really hard in the marketing thing to solve what I call, like, I don't know, the spouse problem, <laughs> which is like, are you allowed to put this? Are you allowed to use this and your spouse like thumbs up or you can give the headset to your spouse and let them see stuff that's interesting to them, like a movie theater. I think they did that, right? Productivity to be able to see your eyes while you're using it. And would my wife let me put it on my kid and let my kid play with it, right? Clearly when yeah. I play. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say like a lot of time that I spend with my wife is us working next to each other on our laptops. Right. Have you ever put the headset on next to her? No. Yeah, right? It's it's weird because also you need a lot of space and you're not engaging and your your hands are flailing around like a crazy person, like beat saber. Like it's like a <laughs> workplace hazard. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but no, I I don't know. It could be cool if like, okay, like I mean part of the workflow now, right, is sometimes I'll be like, Can you read this email? Like, do I sound yeah like angry? That kind of thing. It'd be, I mean, it could be cool if you were like side by side and you could sort of like flick something over to them. Oh, that's like minority report in all the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that stuff. Right. Or like, Hey, check this out. Like, right. And if, I don't know, it seems very in the realm of possibility for the Apple universe, because the fact that we can already share <laughs> Wi-Fi passwords 
which is the best feature ever, right? Where you're yeah. like, please share this with so-and-so. Like why, why can't, and you can airdrop stuff, right? So like you should be able to like share documents or views essentially yeah. back and forth. Yeah. Like then I think it could be a lot more interesting, right? That like it is, has that more interactive quality. Yeah. And I, I imagine myself, like, I'm just like, going to scratch my <laughs> side and then I just accidentally like close my FaceTime call or something like that. I'm just saying like, like I'm scared. I, I like my tech towel, you know, I use a computer mouse. I like my, I think it's going to be interesting. Oh, I think it was an interesting part where they were like, you know, in talking about creepy. So I was reading this Twitter thread and obviously subject to verification, but what they're saying on the engineer perspective was that you are able to click by using your eyes. Yeah. And so what they do is they're measuring your pupils and your pupils actually start to like dilate and change. Basically. Because you, you expect the thing that happens after you click. Yeah. And which I think have, is so cool. So you technically you haven't blinked yet, but your eyes are already anticipating that part of your involuntary muscle. And so they're kind of like reading your mind effectively by like milliseconds, right? And so they're using that to like encode the thing. And I'm just like, yeah, like, you know, the fact that they have the, uh, effectively, I mean, they already have face ID, right? But now they're doing... They're getting going to get better at representing not just a map of it for authentication purposes, but for communication purposes. I mean, we, we talked about it in a previous episode, right? Like, you know, it's just like the concept of our digital identities. It's just like, I would be like, Shiyan, I have to meet you in person because I don't know whether it's you or somebody else, right? You I know? mean, yeah. I, I think this whole thing, right? AI is just going to make the in-person so much more valuable. Like yeah the real you who is the real you do i know it's the real you am i even yeah. talking to jeremy is this just the jeremy bot yeah i'm i'm asleep right now i just delegated auto gpt <laughs> plus just yeah. my, my only instruction was sound professional and sound like i'm adding value to the ecosystem there you go <laughs> yeah but but i think that's 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 kind of interesting right it's like right? i was talking to a company and they were sort of doing like gifting. Yeah. But part of gifting is like the personal note. Right. And the fact that someone actually recorded a video or a yeah. message to you, like, like right. it wasn't like your assistant did it or GPT wrote it or whatever it was, right? Like the value of these sort of like artisanal touches goes up. It reminds um, me of that handwriting startup that I saw like five to 10 years ago and it was just making bank. Because basically, like, all these real estate agents and wanted Hand to handwrite notes. that notes. And so they basically strapped, like, a 3D printer person, robot, to basically handwrite and look like you wrote it. Because they use an actual pen to write on an actual card. But actually, it was written by a robot. And I was thinking to myself, like, once I heard about that news, I was like, man, way to devalue all future postcards, right? In that sense, right? From a... But, you know, I think people treasure that. But as like you said, right, this is a race to re replicate the authenticity, right? And in, in turn, it degrades the authenticity of that well, medium. Well, it degrades the prior signals <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. of that medium. I don't think authenticity will ever be degraded, but... Um. Yeah. Well, shocks when I get a postcard saying that, hey, dear Jeremy, I really care about you. <laughs> and by the way, there's this house next door that's really interesting. <laughs> like, now I... <laughs> Oh, shucks, they didn't know me and spend five minutes to think of. Heck, the person even, doesn't even think of the script nowadays, right? Because you just write the whole blurb, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was an article where someone was talking about what was the societal impact of the button 
So like in Google Docs or in Microsoft Word, right? Basically, they're integrating GPT. And so there's a button that's basically just like start writing. Yeah. And it's always easier to kind of edit than it is to come up with new, right. like de novo stuff. Yeah. But what does it do to the quality of our thinking as a society if no one has to struggle to come up with new things? Like you just kind of edit derivative things. Yeah. But it's a fair question. But, I don't know. You know. I think I have enough faith in like the variance of humans that there's always going to be weirdos who are like, I refuse to press the button. I want to do torture myself. <laughs> Sorry. You're just, you're being like, I'm wearing flannel. I'm drinking, like I have a beard and I'm like, I'm going to, I'm countercultural by writing an email by hand. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just exactly. Exactly like that. I'm going to build like, my own cabin. I'm going to be, so it's like, I, I'm going to write my own emails like, like, like a real human would do. Sorry, I was just like, there was like, oh, you hipster, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you, you was a hipster because you're already writing this on a laptop. You're already writing email. You already have Wi-Fi. This re- anyway, but yeah. So, do you think you're gonna buy one? I think for research purposes. <laughs> so- like, honey, what's this thing? What's this package Eric, here? Eric, Elizabeth, and I are already debating who gets to buy it for research purposes. Just ship it around and then make sure um, nobody drops it. Yeah. Yeah. 3,500. Uh, but I think it's a good uh, um, point, right? Which is that they went for the high end and they're going lower. Yeah. yeah. And then and the Tesla uh, strategy. Tesla strategy. And Facebook and Carmack, who was on the Oculus team, <clears throat> they actually had a conflict in the strategy, right? Because there's a strong push in one side of the team to focus on gaming, focus on high-end, focus on high resolution, higher price points. And then the Facebook team obviously decided to go in that direction, which was going towards making sure it's more portable. Mass. Yeah. Mass, lower price point, cheaper. So, but of course, I think obviously it makes sense, right? Because Facebook has always been on a mass. They need people to use their date, use their services, join the ecosystem, WhatsApp, be as free as possible, right? And then they make money off the data and identity. Whereas Apple's always made money on hardware and they're happily charging you that premium, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. Exciting week. Exciting week. I think I'm going to buy the Gen 2. I think Gen 1, is, I, can't, I, I, I can't, it's hard to justify, but I'll buy the Gen 2. Research purposes, man. Vision yeah. Pro SE Mini. There we go. <laughs> All right. Peace out. All right, out. dude. Take it easy. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Brave. If you enjoyed this episode, please share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. We would also appreciate you leaving a rating or review. Head over to www.bravesea.com for member content, resources, and community. Stay well and stay brave. Stay brave.